may be seated. Well, good morning. I would not expect uh, to you to remember the fact that I was here a few months ago, but I want to begin that way by saying I'm glad to be back. Uh, it is good to be with you and to worship last evening and twice today on Sunday and to share in worship. Uh, United Methodists, I think, are really just Episcopal wannabes, and so it does our hearts good from time to time to get back into the womb of our church, which it really is, in fact. And so it, uh, I come not only at the invitation of Rector Sarah, but I come uh, with joy to have the opportunity to share in several services with you again. Uh, let's pray together. Lord, you have caused your word to be written down in Holy Scripture for us. It is your revelation. You give it to us so that we can receive it and respond to it and reorder our lives accordingly. And so we ask again that through all of the liturgy of this service, the words that are sung and spoken, the times of silence, and meditation that all of this will be gathered up in and through your Holy Spirit to edify us so that we will leave this place a little bit farther along the journey of faith than when we walked in just a few minutes ago. So come, Lord Jesus, and do for us what only you can do. Let our minds be made captive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit that as your word is read and proclaimed, we may receive it with joy and live it with intentionality. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the part of the gospel lesson that I want us to focus on today is the first part. If you've got your insert, you can follow right along. The gospel lesson today is really one event, but it sort of has a part A and a part B. And the part that I want to work with you on this morning is the part A, where Jesus is confronted by an expert of the law. A lawyer is the way the New Revised Standard puts it. He wasn't a civic lawyer like we would think of that term today, but he was an expert in God's law. And uh, that's the passage, uh, verses, I believe, 34 through 40, that I want us to look at this morning. As I read it, I thought to myself, you know, things generally go along pretty smoothly until you make hamburger meat out of somebody's sacred cow. You're okay right up to that point, but as soon as you do that, you are in for trouble. And that's exactly what Jesus did, not in the gospel lesson itself, but back in the preceding chapter, Matthew 21. Jesus took things a step too far when he cleansed the temple. That was the last straw. Thirty-something uh, rabbis don't do that. Uh, now, you can, you can read the Gospel of Matthew the same as I do, and you know that that's not the first time that Jesus had been on a collision course with the Sadducees and Pharisees. It didn't take him very long in his ministry before you could tell that there was going to be trouble in River City. But my guess is that no one would have predicted, no one would have expected that that final coup de grace, that tipping point, that, uh, that step too far would come through the cleansing of the temple, but that's what happened. 
Now, uh, if you read the text, you discover it was in the evening. Last evening around 5 o'clock, 5.30 when I was starting to preach, that was a good time to talk about that because we were thinking like evening time. Well, it was evening in Jerusalem. Jesus cleansed the temple and he goes out of the city and he spends the night with some of his friends and goes back into Jerusalem the next morning where he is immediately confronted by the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You can pick it up in the 21st chapter, and it continues all the way into the gospel lesson that was read just a few moments ago. What had happened was, and Matthew says this, Jesus had already outwitted the Pharisees. They had already kind of, you know, shut down their shop and said, well, we're not getting anywhere here. But there was one lawyer left. One expert in the law left who thought maybe he still had one bullet in the chamber. <laughs> he, he, he thought maybe he had one clear shot and he was willing to take it. So he begins to test Jesus. And that's where our story picks up. That's what Matthew says. A lawyer came to test him with a question. Now, I don't want to dwell on this, but uh, you need to understand that the word test is not like a, a professor like me might give, you know, and just give you a, a 72 and 85 or a 93 or maybe even 100. Who knows if you do real well. But that's not the kind of test we're talking about. The Greek word means trap. In fact, I wish, to be honest, that the English versions put it in there. It's not that hard of a word to put in, to, to, to trap him. You see, that, that's what this was all about. Uh, uh, Jesus was a dead man walking. And they were just looking for a shred of evidence that they could use against him. And so the question that the lawyer is asking is not just an innocent conversation. Not just, oh, by the way, I was wondering what you had to say about such and such and so and so. Uh, This is a trap that was set. This is a setup. And Jesus knew it. Now, I'm going to guess today, as I look around uh, in the sanctuary, even over into the choir, I'm going to guess some of you have are in your professional life to the extent that you might have been set up once or twice yourself. Maybe you've owned a business or you've run an oppos- uh, some kind of an operation and one of your employees that you've sort of had your eyes on for a while and it tends to be a little bit of an edgy person, maybe a bit of a troublemaker. And you're working there in your office and that employee walks in and says, uh, you got a minute? I'd, I'd, I'd like to ask you something. And you know as soon as that person says it, that the only reason they're really asking it is so that they can go out and repeat it after you say it. They can say, oh, well, I was just in the boss's over a while ago, and she said, I was just in the boss's office just a minute ago, and he said, and that can somehow, you know, stir up the pot a little bit more. Or maybe a professor like me who taught for over 30 years and You're teaching a class and you can kind of tell that a student is not really clicking and not necessarily even liking what you're doing. And yet he shows up there in front of your door one day and knocks on the door and says, "Uh, could I come in and visit for a while? You think to yourself, this is not just a visit. So he asks, you know, uh, do you think, uh, are are you a pre, a post or an amillennialist, you know, or something like that, some little... And you know as soon as he asks the question that no matter what you say, he's going to go out and tell the other students, well, I asked Dr. Harper, this is what he said, and you don't believe that, do you? I wouldn't take any more of his classes for anything. (laughs) But you don't have to be business, professional, educational. Let's just go to parenthood. Mother, dad, 
You ever had a child come in and say, ask you for something? And you know they're asking you so they can go to the other parent and say, well, mama said I could. Daddy said I could. Already setting you up so that somebody's got to be the bad guy. Okay, that's what's happening here. Do you get it? That's the, that's the tone. And Jesus knew this. And so what he does, very swiftly, he moves from a test to a testimony. And when I was reading the text, I thought about a matador. I don't know why I thought about a matador. Maybe it's because my wife lived in Spain. Maybe it's because Spain is one of our favorite countries. We like to go back to it every so often. But in my mind's eye, I could see the matador who accepts the charging bull, but at the last minute just deftly waves the cape and the bull goes charging by. I think Jesus was a matador. He accepted the question. He accepted the charging bull that the religious leader was. But just at the last minute, when the lawyer thought he had him caught in the trap, Jesus waves the cape. The bull goes by and Jesus walks away ungored. I think that's pretty cool. (laughs) But how did he do it? That's the question. Well, let's see. The first thing he does with this uh, religious leader is he went to the center. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Well, Jesus knew, the lawyer knew, the crowd knew. Jesus suddenly had 613 choices. Because by his day, the law of God had been codified, not just the Ten Commandments, but into 613 rules and regulations. What to do on almost every given occasion that you could think of. Jesus doesn't go there. He went to the center. And he answered the lawyer with the Shema. Deuteronomy 6.5 Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. I wish this had been videotaped because I think you would have seen the crestfallen look on that religious lawyer's face when he realized he didn't have anything to use against Jesus because Jesus had said what Every Jew had said since they were children what every Jewish parent would have taught their children to say, what every religious law expert would have declared. This is the first and greatest commandment, Jesus says. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says there's a second commandment like it. And Jesus wasn't just thinking on his feet and throwing in a second commandment just for the fun of it. By the time Jesus came along, they had added this commandment alongside of it. And that's why we read the Leviticus passage this morning. Because the lawyer would have expected Jesus to say this too. And there's a second one just like it. And and he probably didn't even have to say it. The lawyer was already saying, I know, Leviticus 19, 18, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what's the matador doing as he waves the cape and lets the bull go by? The same thing that you and I need to do in order to move from a test to a testimony. We need to stand at the center We need to stand at the center. Um, I was reading this week that there are 33,000 denominations on the earth. 
May I uh, venture to say that's too many? Uh, Jeannie and I, my wife and I, were in the North Carolina mountains earlier this week watching the leaves change, and we were driving down a little back road, and in the space of less than a mile, we passed six Baptist churches. Folks, you don't need six Baptist churches within a mile of each other. I, I'm, I, I don't think I'm stepping on too many toes here. Uh, the first thing I wondered is how many splits did it take to produce six of those Baptist churches? You got Missionary Baptist Church, you got Antioch Baptist Church, you got New Light Baptist Church, New Hope Baptist Church, whatever it was. Six Baptist churches. And I'm sure they're all doing good work, but the old preacher in me just wondered how many fights preclude, you know, preceded having six Baptist churches within a mile of each other. Probably what's even worse than that is it just confuses the world. The people who drive by here on Lake Avenue, what what do they know about Lutherans, Baptists, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, Assemblies of God? I mean, before my brother-in-law became a Christian, he asked me one day, he said, Steve, why can't Christians just be Christians? And he was asking a deeper question that I was willing to give him as a theologian who could explain all the denominational differences. He just couldn't figure out why. Why don't we just get along with each other? So here's this lawyer who's going to trap Jesus by one of these 613 options, and Jesus doesn't fall for it. He just says, you know the answer to the question before I even ask it. Love God, love others. He goes to the center. And when people look at you and me, they don't ask if we can chant the psalms it's a beautiful thing we just did it they ask can I trust you if I bring my car in to be worked in your shop are you going to really repair the part or just tell me that you did are you going to be a compassionate person if I'm hurting will you see me or see through me Those are the kinds of things the world is asking us. They want to know about the center, not just the circumference. And so like the matador, Jesus deftly moves the cape and that charging bull goes by because Jesus went to the center. The second thing Jesus did, he goes from what to why. Do you notice it? The lawyer says, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus gives him two. But notice he says, on these two... Hang all the others. Now, I was thinking last night, I didn't do this at uh, 8 o'clock, but I was thinking, you've got you to tack that thing pretty high up in the air to hang 611 other commandments underneath it. I mean, you can't hold it right here, or you'll just be dragging commandments as you walk along. If you're going to hang 611 commandments, you've got to... Jesus is setting the bar high here because he says all the other 611 will hang on these two. What's he getting at? Because all of the others funnel in to loving God and loving others. All the streams, the Allegheny, the Monongahela, flow into the Ohio. The Ohio, the Missouri flows into the Mississippi. All of this stuff flows together down to the, down to the delta where only loving God and loving neighbor. Not the what of it, but the why of it. The what questions would have divided. That's what the lawyer was looking for. He was looking for Jesus to pick number 47. So that somebody could say, well, no, I'm, a, I'm an 83 person. Oh, oh, I'm a 512 person. See, that's what the lawyer's looking for. The lawyer's looking for a rabbi who will pick something secondary and try to make it primary 
And we still do it, don't we? I can divide this church right now. I can say, what do you drink when you take communion? And the Episcopalians, who far outnumber the Methodists this morning, (laughs) will say wine. And I say, no, grape juice. And if we want to, we could haggle over that. But you see, if those two things flow in, the why question answers itself, doesn't it? Why are we even going to come to the table in a few moments? Because we love God. And all of us will go forward with that kind of an invitation. You see what I'm getting at? He moves from what to why. It doesn't mean that the what's are not important. It doesn't mean that the other 611 commandments don't count. It just means that when you're moving from a test to a testimony, it's not just what I do, but why I'm doing it. What did you do at 10.30 on Sunday, October 26? What did you do? Well, you'll tell your friend, I went to church yesterday, Church of the Good Shepherd. And that's, that's a correct answer. You get a check mark. But Jesus wants to come around a second time and say, but why did you do it? Hmm. Um, well, I, <laughs> my aunt and uncle are in town, and I know they like to go to church on Sunday, so we, we all came. It, or whatever it is. The, the matador takes the cape, and the bull goes by. And that's, that's how you move from a test to a testimony, folks. That's how Jesus did it. It's how he wants us to do it. When we're dealing with people who would really like to engage us in an argument, who'd really like to do a little bit of theological fighting with us, who would like to to have something they could hold over our heads, Jesus says, no, just go to the center. Just tell folks, you know, if you decide to be an Episcopalian, there's a lot of stuff to learn. If you decide to become a Presbyterian, there's a lot of stuff you need to know. But what you need to know right now is that no matter who you are, what you are, where you go, we all love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we all love our neighbor as ourselves. Pretty much covers it, Jesus says. And yes, I care what you do, Jesus says. You know, the law cares what you do. You've got 613 options, but you can't remember 613 things. I mean, as soon as you get to 613, you've got to start reading again because you've forgotten 74. And you've forgotten 112. But Jesus says, everybody can remember too. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these hang all the rest. And that's how you move, matadors, from a test to a testimony. Amen.